welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Our guest this week on the show is Roman Mars. Now, he is a very famous radio host and podcaster. He hosts a very famous show called 99% Invisible. It is all about design. He has a new book out about uh, urban design. We are going to talk, believe it or not, about design, uh, but but in a way that, you know, with a passion that I, I don't think you guys are used to. Uh, really excited to bring this to you. I'm a big fan of Roman Mars, a big fan of the, the work that he does. So uh, I was really excited to get to talk to him. And the man has an attachment to design and also how to use design to influence your own life, how to how to see design and then how to make your life to design, sorry, pun intended, your life uh, to to meet the needs of the moment in the same way that, that objects are designed. So very excited to bring this to you. Uh, before we get to that, a quick word from our sponsors, including Rocket Mortgage and Quicken Loans, and then a couple quick pieces of intelligence, and then we'll get right to that interview. So here we go with uh, a couple of words from our sponsors, including Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Once again, I want to say thank you to Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans for making today possible. Here are a couple of quick pieces of intelligence you can use, you can share with your friends. First off, Walmart drones, this is very exciting, are now delivering COVID-19 tests to homes in Las Vegas. You get the delivery, self-administer the nasal swab, ship the sample back to Quest Diagnostics, and get your results in two days. The drone experiment is a partnership between Walmart, Quest, and DroneUp. They wanted to test how drones could be used in pandemic responses. There are a couple of caveats, though. You need to live within a one-mile radius of Walmart in a single-family home. You can't do this in an apartment. <laughs> that would be funny, though. Uh, the drone will land on people's driveways, front sidewalks, or in your backyard, and delivery can take as little as five minutes, and it's free. Walmart plans to expand the drone trial to a store near Buffalo, New York this month, and they're planning other drone delivery sites. If you can't get your test delivered by drone, bummer, it sounds very exciting, COVID-19 tests are now being conducted at more than 500 Walmart drive through pharmacy locations too. So Walmart could be your source for getting tested. Love the idea of drones. Here is some more intelligence. Here's a reason to keep your homes clean. Clean environments lead, lead to more ethical behavior. This is according to Rice University, that's in Houston. And they found that even being exposed to cleaning products or just thinking about cleaning up made people less likely to lie and cheat. And it goes beyond household cleaning, personal hygiene, like washing your face or brushing your teeth, it works too, or just thinking about washing up. The researchers say it's because dirty spaces and being physically dirty makes us feel uncomfortable and threatened in a way, and that can lead us to do things we normally wouldn't. But clean spaces and being clean ourselves has the opposite effect. Clean environments lead to more ethical behavior. So there you go. Two quick pieces of intelligence, drone delivery uh, uh, for uh, for COVID tests and, and clean environments lead to ethical behavior. Share that with your friends. Talk to them about it. Whatever, whatever you want to do. But here, very excited to bring this to you, my interview with Design Maven. Can I say that? Host of 99% Invisible, author of uh, 99% Invisible, uh, our 99% Invisible City, uh, Roman Mars. Roman Mars, uh, host of 99% Invisible, which is an amazing design podcast that everybody has to listen to and, and radio show. Uh, also author of the new book, The 99% Invisible City, a field guide to the hidden world of everyday design. Thank you so much for being a part of the show with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. You, so you, I don't know how to describe what it is exactly that you do. Maybe <laughs> I should just ask you, but like, but you, you really talk about the importance of design in everyday life. And the, yeah. the whole thesis of 99% Invisible is that we don't notice it if it's good. 
That's right. That's right. I mean, there's there's a way that you notice bad design because you run up against it all the time, like that sort of the thermostat in your house that you never quite figured out how to use, even right. though you've lived there for 20 years, or the light switch. Like, I'm always amazed by, you know, I've been in my current house for just about three years, and I can still never remember which light switch goes to which socket. Right. You know? And um, and so you notice bad design like that, but what you don't tend to notice the invisible design is the stuff that works because someone really thought through it, right. used you know just decided how you were going to use it, and you use it that way, and then you just breeze through life. And one of the things I like to really focus on in the show are those types of things that you know it, it kind of just like helps you feel a little bit better about the world to know that smart people are thinking about things right. on your behalf right <laughs> well yeah i feel like the thing that really got us to that place was we, you know apple became such a popular yeah. company when when steve jobs came back to it in the in the late 90s when that happened we uh, all of a sudden people started to really oh it's better because it's better designed yeah yeah, they were really a huge driving force in us noticing good design, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think we, like I said, they, we tend to notice the bad design. And they sort of put design as a focus of the company. And, and people really felt it. As soon as you picked up an iPhone, you really felt it. Like, oh, I'm supposed to hold this. You know, like, my hand was made for this device. And and it was sort of, like, undeniable. And, and then they kind of did that with so much of their other stuff. But, right. You know, it's always been part of their, you know, their DNA. But it never really quite, you know, connected with the audience in, until kind of in the, in the mid aughts. Really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and but to my to to your point, and what I, is that that really brought us into this world where we start to see design. And I love it. Um, I, I I live in a city with like the several layers of period architecture that mm -hmm. that is like in different. I live in Los Angeles, so like there's yeah. whole neighborhoods that are all mid century modern. And and you don't really notice it until you're in one of those neighborhoods where all of the office buildings have a certain decor. And then mm -hmm. there's like this art deco section uh, of, of town. And, and all of these things kind of give you a different feeling when you're looking at it. Uh, and, and obviously those are design eras. Those are not the same yeah. thing as the intentional design. But it's uh, to me that that really opened my eyes to to the need for architectural design and for uniformity in certain areas and also how fun it can be if things are just a little bit different. Yeah, well, it is really intentional. I mean, those eras, what I what I like about architecture in particular and what it is, is that the priorities of different architecture, of different eras, like tells us something about what we were like during that time period where mm. that was in its ascendancy. And, you know, the, the Beaux-Arts style, which is like a, you know, the fancy filigree style of uh, capital buildings, for example, like, you know, during that time period, we, we just really felt that all this, um, you know, like ornamentation really said something about the grandeur of how we thought about our public institutions, for example. And then we went through a phase in the 70s where all public buildings were basically concrete blocks yeah. because we kind of had a different functional sense of what the government should be doing. It should be saving money. It shouldn't be, you know, ostentatiously, ostentatiously showing off, you know, what the grander government is. It should be, you know, like as fair as possible. And each of those things really tells us something about who we are and what we value during those time periods. And so that stuff is, is endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, you you've studied the design. You famously, by the way, uh, have like one of the most popular TED talks of all time uh, on vexillology. 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 Yeah, there you go. Which is flag <laughs> design, 
yeah. which so nobody it's study of, vexillology is the study of flags like flag design is like a little portion of okay <laughs> all right but so but i don't know what, what else is there for flags except well, for their design well, here's the thing actually there's a there's actually a kind of a strange um kind of whiff in the vexillology world where a lot of people are they're kind of more the historian um civil war reenactor type you mm. know who kind of um just likes to study flags like to look at them like to know the history like this flag was raised at this battle at this time and really feel that vexillologists shouldn't be in the business of critiquing the design of flags. I am in the other camp with this, <laughs> <laughs> that we should critically look at the design of flags. And it, and it actually tells us something, again, about you know who we are and what we value. Right. And that's and, and for something as innocuous as city flags, we don't. Yeah. I mean, and your point in the in the talk that you give is, is that we don't care about city flags right. unless they're done really well, in which case we we love them. We really care. Yeah. Uh, and and the way you take people through it, like here are all of the all of the the um, uh, points of what makes good flag design. I mean, you made that so interesting, but also made it tell a story about about what the cities value, right? And like that's yeah. that's your whole thing. Design is a uh, design is an indicator of our own personal values. So when we choose a design or we make a design, that's because we value certain certain things about it. Like, yeah, I mean, it communicates something. It communicates uh, a message, and and when they're designed well, just like aesthetically pleasing, they can convey so much more. So the the, the main example I used in the, in the TED talk is the city of Chicago flag, yeah. which has it's really lovely. It has two horizontal blue stripes. It has four six pointed red stars in the middle. And if you go to Chicago and you're unfamiliar with the concept like i was unfamiliar with the concept of city flags until i moved to chicago like i didn't right. understand what this flag was for i didn't know understand i just never thought that cities had flags and you see it everywhere you see it on cops arms you know like on their uniforms mm -hmm. you see it in protests you see it in tattoos you see it on coffee cups you see it everywhere and it, what it really is is this you know this symbol that you can pour all kinds of meaning into when it's done well, like you, you, you just this is what it means to be a Chicagoan, and a lot of people have claimed it in these beautiful ways. And my thesis and talk is, you know, like it's because the it's designed so well and so beautiful that it gets to do this. And the, the city of D.C., Washington D.C., also has a great flag. It's used all the time. It's used in municipal things. It's used in protests. It's used like all signs of every type of debate. The the D.C. flag is invoked. And if your city it does not have um, a prominent flag. It's probably because it's really poorly designed and right. not thought through. And uh, that was the sort of call to action to get uh, to get cities to redesign their flags. It would be, uh, the the Vexillological Society has the, uh, they call them SOBs, seals on a yeah. bed sheet. Seals on a bed sheet. <laughs> yeah. That's the typical, the typical city flag. Yeah. Is a, it's kind of a municipal seal that you'd stamp on. You'd see it on the top of a letterhead. And they put it on just a, you know, like either a white or blue background and they just put it on there. And yep. It's a horrible flag. It doesn't make any sense as a flag because you really need I mean, the thing is, it's like you don't really think about this, what, why you like good flags and bad flags usually. But one of the things you really do need is you need to be able to read it. You need to know what the symbolism right. is. And uh, city seals are extremely dense, you know, like, you know, they'll have Latin on them. They'll have tiny figures in the background that you can't see. And they also have writing on them. And, and, and writing is bad for a flag because a flag needs to work in either direction because you see it from either direction. So. so I think, I think the, uh, and one of the, one of the things that you talk about in the, in that, uh, show in that, in that talk is how, uh, you can pivot that, that 
design concept to into the symbolism that a, a city could rally behind, like you like you said. Um, for, for sure. I mean, that's one of the things that like like a lot of these little things like flags. I mean, nobody was more aware of this than I was. I was at the TED conference and I show up and, you know, the the first person who speaks is like the former leader of Australia who normalized trade relationships with China. And I'm giving my dumb TED, you know, like my, my flag talk in a few days. And I was like, why am I here? You know? And then, and so I present this and, but the point is, even though this is a little thing, you know, what you can do with a flag, what you can do with these symbols and recognize how they do have an effect on us. You can do so much more with a good flag. If right. you have a good flag, you can rally behind um, this, this shared identity of what a city is and, and you can really do something to, you know, to, to it moves you, you know, it's, that's why it's, it should be part of protest. It should be part of government. It should be part of everything. Right. Um, you should be really connected to, to where you are and uh, a flag helps. Well, and that brings me kind of what I, to what I really want to get into, which is the, which is twofold. One is the idea of design in terms of values, which we've touched on a little bit. And the other is design in terms of inspiration, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I think for us as individuals, that applies to how we create our workspaces, how we create our home living spaces. And it goes beyond just feng shui and certain traditionalist uh, perspectives on that. But, mm-hmm. but it, it's, it's, it's the intentionality and the inspiration that can be drawn from all of these things and showing what we value. For example, like you go into a lot of living rooms and you can often tell, is this a TV and movie family or is this a reading family, reading family based on where the television is and how prominently like all of the seating is arranged around it. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you should, and, and those choices, um, you know, it's kind of nice that you can, uh, uh, that you can notice those things when you go into homes and, but also like you can, I, I could see someone setting up their home in the TV way. Like my living room is set up kind of more in the TV way. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I don't watch a lot of TV, it's kind of just like a default, you right. know? Um, and because I tend to read like on my own in my bedroom, you know, yeah. um, but it, but it's what's being aware of that stuff makes you sort of have thoughtful choices, you know? And so that's a good part of, you know, paying attention and, you know, trying to live your best life. Uh, and yeah. And I, and I think like, I think we can do that with our time. We can do that with uh, with our with our approach to again our, our spaces like that. And and mm-hmm. I think you know what I love about what you just said is that we default to certain design choices. Yeah, for and sure. I, and I think there's a ni- an interesting metaphor there to our lives where we default to certain. Hey, I work these hours or I work for this company, but it's not intentional. And the more you draw out design the way that you do, I think the more it's a metaphor for how we design, we can design our lives, both physically and, and temporally. Yeah, I, I, I do think that, I mean, one of the things about what we do on the, on the podcast and, and in, in this book that I just were putting out is, um, is like when you sort of peel apart the design of the world, you start to see, you start to notice all these choices that were made and then you begin to interrogate them. Like, for example, like, you know, we, we did this little piece on um, that somebody found a blue stop sign in Hawaii and they wrote us. It's like, why is there a blue stop sign in Hawaii? And we investigated it. But then it really led us to, well, why are there red stop signs? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, who made that choice? Right. And, um, and it turns out that for a long time, they weren't red. They were yellow because we didn't have the, uh, you know, retro reflective, you know, glossy style paint to make red work well enough at night the way mm-hmm. we do now and so you know it just tells us something about all the thought that goes into things 
And we, we love to question these fundamental assumptions about, you know, um, about why the world is the way it is and all the thought that goes into things that most people don't think about. And what it does is it arms you with this ability to use uh, that type of curiosity and that type of like not accepting the status quo, just the status quo, like really being you know, careful and thoughtful about it. It really does translate into all these different aspects of your life where you really begin to go like, why do I do this? Like, right. why, why do I start this at this time of the day? Why do I have this sort of thing happening? And it's just like questioning, why, is, why are stop signs red? Yeah. Why is the sky blue? You know, like it, it, it's um, it's a mindset that you can carry through in, in a lot of your life. I mean, it can be exhausting. Like there's some reasons why you just like accept things the way they are. Like you can't constantly interrogate everything, but it's nice to um, use your brain to like to sort of tease apart uh, the, the reasons why things are the way they are and what choices have been made for you and what choices you make for yourself. I, I think that's why, like to your point, like it can get exhausting. I think that's why certain people after a certain age, they have brands that they just identify with. And they're just yeah. like, I'm going to buy a Toyota for my next car because I had a Toyota for my last car. And I'm yeah. going to wear, I'm going to wear Brooks Brothers because I wear like that just because I've already made the design choice. And now I'm just going to, I don't want to think about it anymore. I'm going to let the designers for that company do it. I think that's, I think that's like a, I mean, I think it's a pattern I've seen in other people where they just, and, and why, like Steve Jobs, for example, wore, not to go back to him over and over again, why he wore the same clothes every day. At a certain point, he's like, look, this is my thing. This is what I, I don't want to waste any more time thinking about it. I, I actually think that there's there's a good coping strategies for that as well. Like I, I didn't do this originally. I met somebody, um, Farhad Manju, who, who's, who, who's a writer, local like writer and covers tech and stuff in the Bay Area. Um, he, I remember him saying that he's just overwhelmed by Amazon, all the choices, all the things, all the mm -hmm. reviews. And so he just... He either goes to one site like Wirecutter, and if they recommend it, he buys it, or the Amazon Best Choice, he just buys it. He just doesn't even think about it. Right. He doesn't spend any another moment of his time trying to um, assess which one is right because it just takes up too much brain space to do it. And I totally like when it, it like that unlocked the world for me because I think I spent way too much time, you know, trying to navigate the little differences that probably don't matter too much. And, you know, like, and you should just like free yourself. And so I love, I think that there's a, there's a real thing in the paradox of choice that it can just uh, shut you down because you are afraid of making the wrong decision. And I think this is something that came to me when I actually just got, I, mean, I grew up pretty poor and, and now I have more money. And when I, when every decision wasn't, didn't feel life and death, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of money, um, the first thing I began to do was buy convenience, like buy my brain back, you know, and just go like, you know what, I want this one because this is the one I heard was good. And if it's a little bit different, I don't need to bargain hunt across the entire internet to find it, you know, all right. that sort of stuff. That, so that's a kind of a luxury, but it's also um, something that it's like, that's something I gladly buy is the, that sort of like that, that period of time where that uncertainty of choice is, mm -hmm. is just a place I do not like to be. So I understand people who want to wear the same clothes every day. Right. Well, and then we get into these patterns and we don't notice it, like to, to your point uh, with, the, with the stop sign, we don't notice it until things change. Right. So whether that's our life and, and quarantine and COVID or whether that's the blue stop signs, like those things stick out to us not until they're different and not until you're, not until you're able to make those choices or to see even the choices that you're making, uh, do, we, do we even start to notice some of those things? For sure. I mean, and you, in every way, designed not to notice things that are the same every day. I mean, if you were to take in stimulus as if it was new, every time you encountered it, uh, your brain would just be fried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is 
this is a very good coat you know like it's it, you're made that way on purpose <laughs> right so yeah that's like uh it, that's 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 the the you, the power of the human brain especially relative to computers is our is our pattern recognition mm -hmm. like we we take in so much data in a constant stream and we dismiss so much of it uh, when it fits a pattern and we do that with people we do that with visual design but that's why that's why we do that is because our brain just wants to notice the the different things the things yeah. that are new and unique and what we try to do on the show is like have this fun way to explore the places that where the pattern is not noticed because mm -hmm. it is so every day i mean we we i always say that you know we just we we tell interesting stories about boring things and, uh, <laughs> and because i like the idea of um digging into the mundane and seeing what interesting and weird things got to them to be the way they are you know and, and that to me is super that's super fun you again your book is about is about the hidden world of everyday design in in different cities and stuff so what sort of patterns have you noticed like why why are certain things the way that they are? For example, like the stop signs being uh, uh, octagonal, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so octagonal stop signs is actually a, a kind of a, a strange one. There was actually, a, you know, a, they convened a panel in Mississippi in 1923 to decide what, um, how many sides a stop sign should have. And there was some kind of like semiotic notion that the more sides a thing had, the more uh, alert people were on the road it was you know so uh informational signs had, had four sides um and and they just thought that an octagonal sign um conveyed danger to a certain way and 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 that's what they should be and so that one actually has like a, a point of origin and a kind of logic to it i don't know if i buy the logic of it right they, at the same time they argued that a a circular sign um because it, in in their in their um you know estimation and, and mathematically it's true has an infinite number of sides if you were to take a tangent of every point it's like an infinite number of sides on a circle right whereas i think that most people perceive a circle as basically having one side not right. really an infinite number of sides <laughs> and so so i don't know like if that's actually true but there was some thought to it as to you know like why eight sides on a on a sign and so um yeah i mean the pattern that we find you know in the in the book I mean, the main thing, the, the, the thing, the conceit of the book is that it's this, it's this, it's this collection of essays about, about things. It's, and they're usually about the more mundane everyday things, but it's across the whole world. Like we, we kind of use an example uh, of, you know, grid streets in Barcelona and, and hopefully you still take some of that and go like, oh, this applies to Los Angeles in this way. So it's mm -hmm. kind of a tour of the world and, and the whole, the whole, fun of it to me was like oh this is the field guide to the city um you're going to a city here's your here's your guide <laughs> you know it's like it's like a tour guide but for every city um and you know the patterns we see are like a lot of this weird combination in terms of um you know cities are this combination of like of like big uh, top-down design intent bottom-up interventions and and modifications made by people and they meet in between and there's this constant conversation and cities are you know, kind of this glorious mess of people interacting with each other um, to shape the built environment for their own use. And, and that's what's fascinating for me. And that's what all the stories ultimately come down to, that the, the sort of unique interactions that happen when, um, you know, somebody, uh, you know, needs, to be, needs a thing to be a certain way and the city needs it to be a certain way and, and they clash in the middle. And, and there's all kinds of cool stories in, in, that, in that nexus.
and then things like you know and then things that are kind of appear out of that that become iconic like the uh i mean like there's the angels flight um train in los angeles and yeah. there's that switchback in san francisco that is very famous yeah lombard street yeah yeah angels flight is like literally my favorite thing i do in los angeles <laughs> <laughs> like, like i go to it and ride it and, and i was with my kids recently and they're like it's just up the one he, it's, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah it is, it is. <laughs> it's but one it's hillside in, L- in downtown la <laughs> and it's got it's a it's an angled train car that goes yeah. up this train track up a hillside that gets you from like one lower area it's not that far either it's no. for that to be your favorite thing well it's just it's just it's well a i just have funiculars in general like any type of like tram or, or train car right. or whatever is just like it just it taps into the pleasure centers of my brain like automatically but besides that like one of the things i you know what i love about it is like those things were so prominent all across um the, especially the West, you know, like there are train cars everywhere mm-hmm. up in, I'm in Northern California. Um, and they were basically to connect neighborhoods to, to um, big railroad lines, you know? Yeah. And they just, they just like had a, an age where it, it harkens back to an age where there was a different way of moving around the city. And I just, I feel it I, when I, I'm on it. I love it. I love the feeling of it. It just is something I always do if I'm around downtown LA. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Roman is going to tell us how he found his passion for design and how he was able to turn his passion into his career. This is the whole point. Don't miss us. One of the things that's clear just in talking to you, listening to your show, is is uh, watching your TED Talk, is the, the passion that you have for design. Mm-hmm. How did you, I mean, like, just even in that, where you're, where when you relate to Angel's Flight, you relate to this railway, this tiny, I think it's like, 400 foot railway um <laughs> but you you use it as a, like a, as a connection to a bygone era one how did you get this interested in design and two how did you how were you able to sorry to use this pun design your life so that that was what you were talking about 100 percent of the time yeah so the interest came i think there was an innate interest in how things worked and the underlying sort of principles for how things work so i used to study genetics i studied i was a, you know i was like training to be a scientist for a long time and um and i fell into radio and broadcasting because i i decided that one of the things i liked was explaining complex things rather than just studying them mm. you know so that's what led me to to radio and to into journalism and then the design part of it really came you know i had a really life-changing experience on uh, the architecture riverboat tour in Chicago. And I was, you know, an adult at this point. Mm-hmm. And there was a way that the docent, you know, you're, you're on the Chicago river, you're on this boat and they're, you're going through the city and they're pointing out different buildings. And the way that they told the stories about the buildings was I, I noticed as a radio producer that they were, the visuals were not required. Like, especially when it comes to architecture, people have a real, uh, you know, kind of like a real visceral reaction to architecture they don't like when they see it. Like they don't, people don't like a lot of modernism. People don't like uh, brutalism, which is the chunky concrete style architecture. But when you tell a story about why that is the way it is and why architects were so into a certain type of modernism at a certain time as a reaction to the fussy filigree of Beaux-Arts or, or whatever. Um, it really just makes you see it differently. And so I thought 
at, at a certain point, my revelation of creating the show was that if I could tell you the story of a building before you saw it, that you could fall in love with it, no matter what it looked like. And I wanted to take the, the sort of the capriciousness of aesthetics out of the discussion of design and make it more about story and problem solving and, and feelings and connection and, mm. and all that sort of stuff. And that was what, and that's why, you know, I do this perverse thing by talking about this largely aesthetic, you know, thing that we tend to consider as aesthetic judgment. And I bring it to audio um, so that we can have the discussion about the thing first before you can form a kind of judgment on it. And so, you know, I've been working in radio for a long time. I had, um, pitched this idea of a, of a, of a show when the uh, American Institute of Architects in San Francisco said they wanted to kind of do a, 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 you know, like a little minute or two about a building in San Francisco um, every, you know, every week on, on morning edition. And I was like, I can do that. And so I sort of broadened the idea into design in general. And then, and then the podcasting sort of boom started and it got found online and the show got bigger and bigger and bigger in, in that way. And that's really how it happened. It was like, I started it as my fourth job. I worked constantly on every type of radio show that's existed. And this was the one where I was like, it was mine. It was my nighttime thing. I wanted to work on being a host again. I wanted to work on writing again. And I made this show for me. And it just was, I was, you know, I was blessed with the great good luck to find an audience that would support me. I mean, and that's, uh, by the way, you know, how many great architects uh, are recognized for their desire to make aesthetics for themselves. You know, yeah, I mean, that, it's, that's kind of fitting. It, it's, it's true. I mean, they, it, it's, it's, it's so funny, you know, like the way, the way that I, I know, like, it's kind of like, you know, film directors or, or any type of person who is like dedicated to a certain art, like they're, when they've experienced the sort of everyday thing all the time, they're usually the ones more likely to kind of like break out and make a statement. And and sometimes it takes a while for the public to catch up with it. Mm. But, um, and, and I like to notice those things and, and shock those things. I definitely like, one of the things I wanted to do with my show is, 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 is really reach people. You know, there's yeah. a reason why it is made the way it is. And, and it has this, um, it has an intimate tone. I even mic it intimately. Like I, I kind of like to, I like the sound of my voice to sound like it's a voice inside your head. Mm -hmm. And so I have a tone that's sort of like, this is a person whispering to you and saying, no, hey, look over here. This is really cool. Mm -hmm. And because I knew that I'm um, the weirdo telling you to look at this manhole cover, you know, like, so you have to use a way to like get people on board with that. And so, you know, the show is extremely designed for different intents, not to be manipulative, but just to achieve an end. Yeah, I mean, you, you have something you're trying to say. I mean, it's it's, it's similar to like, I, I, so to continue this like design and architecture concept, like I love looking at Frank Lloyd Wright houses. I love it. I, I follow a bunch of them on uh, the different houses and buildings that he's designed. I follow them on Instagram and the, they do a great job of showing different angles of the different designs from totally. falling water to talisine to uh, all of them. I don't think I would want to live in a Frank Lloyd no. Wright house. And, and most people who did uh, didn't like it all that much. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we were really conforming he, to his vision, <laughs> and really it was. wasn't a great I mean, vision. That was that was the really something else drove him, and it wasn't that. I mean, like he had, you know, different um, people had different experiences, and maybe the the glow of looking at all those beautiful lines and those long horizontal lines, like of his prairie houses, like made them feel good enough to 
overcome the fact that they they no closet space you know like it had no (laughs) closets and all sorts of stuff like that but like he that was what he was going for but he was also there's lots of things he was going for that you know haven't really translated like he 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 had this vision for the usonia homes which were you know cheap um you know like or rather inexpensive i guess is a better way to say it um homes that were you know didn't have a lot of store i mean we, we focused on a little different things today than we did back then like sh- homes were just smaller back then mm-hmm. and had less storage people just have less stuff in general um and so they do not conform to today's um lifestyles but they definitely were an aspiration for you know back in the, yeah. in the 50s and so um you know I also agree that a lot of, you know, the purest visions of minimalism and um, modernism are hard to live with. But, you know, what I like is like, if you notice them and notice things you like, you take the things you like, you use it, you know, to your benefit. And, you know, like there's nothing wrong with choosing to live your life the way you want. And, and you know, like I would love to, have a sort of more minimalist life but you know like you have kids and you have things or yeah. stuff and you just have to you know you're just making do you speaking speaking of that my kids are just getting out of the age where you have to have everything with you all the time mm-hmm. like with babies you have to have a, like a conveyance like a stroller or a body strap totally. or something oh you got to have the diapers and the whole thing and my, my kids are getting to that age now where none of them are in that phase anymore oh. and like sometimes you can just throw them in the car and go and speaking of minimalism, it feels delightful. It is amazing. crazy. I had um, I have uh, twin boys, and they're now thirteen years old. And I remember every time I would take them somewhere, it was like, it was like the storming of Normandy. It yeah, required like so crazy. this like okay, what's the conveyance? How do we get to storm the beach? What is all the equipment? You're, what are you going to carry? What am I going to carry? Yeah. It was just miserable. And getting that part of your brain back when you're not have to be sort of planning everything is like a real turning point in parenting and i you know like i'm really glad that you've reached that point it really (laughs) helps a lot (laughs) it is and now i'm thinking about in terms of design like how all of those items are designed how the cars are designed to take them in it's yeah it's it's crazy uh roman i know your time is really valuable and i've taken up a lot of it today so uh we we are going to wrap this up but there's two things that i ask to everybody uh and i'm gonna ask them to you right now First and foremost, aside from buying the book, which there will be a link to where to buy it in the show notes, <laughs> where can people follow up with you? Um, well, the book is one thing, but we have a show. It's called 99% Invisible. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And it's a sort of weekly exploration. It's like storytelling podcast about design, architecture, just like just curiosity, really. And then I'm on Twitter at Roman Mars, so you can usually reach me there. Link to Roman Mars Twitter as well as to the 99% Invisible podcast. Uh, in the show notes. One last thing, I ask it to everybody. What is one thing we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> you know, I always tell my kids, um, uh, carry a book. It's great. I mean, just like, whenever you have a time, just like carry a book, calm down, de- you know, de- deconnect, you know, disconnect from the world and, and, uh, and go into uh, I just I always think that carrying a book is a good way to live life uh, Ruth Peter Ginsburg said that uh, reading is a key that can unlock many doors for sure and sure. I think that's true my uh, thankful my oldest is uh, she is a I don't I don't know I don't even know how to describe it she is uh, I call her my prisoner president kid she's gonna end up one or the other uh, <laughs> but so she requires a lot of effort 
but and and, and fantastic amount of, like I, I i just like a lot of things like the effort is worth it uh yeah. but she loves reading and that is her calming thing and we think uh we thank god every day that our, <laughs> our oldest that that's her thing because i genuinely believe that's the kind of thing that will uh serve her well if that's her coping mechanism is to dive into books that'll serve her well throughout oh, her life work. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, that's that's a that's a great blessing. <laughs> <laughs> Roman Mars, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it, Kim. Thanks. Take care. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. It makes a big difference. Thank you guys for those of you that have done it. We uh, spend a lot of time on Facebook. Facebook.com slash John Tesh is where we hang out all the time. We do we go live there at least three times a week, often even more than that. So you can see me and John and all of us doing our stuff right at facebook.com slash John Tesh. Also, you can check out John's Twitter at John Tesh. John is on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every mention and DM about the show. In fact, some of the guests I've had are because of messages that you guys have sent me. So please keep those coming. Uh, I respond to them and I appreciate them because I do the show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening. <laughs>